So one uh, teaching point maybe this, this morning, this afternoon now, uh, and one sort of um, thing for us to reflect on, to meditate upon, I think. Uh, so first, teaching. So this is something that, that I uh, just heard this week. I had never heard this before about this particular passage. So, so Jesus, um, he always has the long vision in mind, the long play, right? So he, he's come to earth, we know this, uh, to take, he took on our human nature uh, to save us, to come and, and rescue us. And he knows that, that part of that rescuing, maybe, maybe the rescuing, uh, is, is ultimately going to lead to his death, right? That this is, this is ultimately what saves us, that he dies. And then to prove that this is what saves us, he rises from the dead, right? And he, and he knows all of this in his mind. But then he also knows that the completion of this rescue mission, right? So the thing that, that completes it all is going to be his ascension into heaven, uh, when, he, when he goes to heaven and he's no longer uh, present on earth in the same way that he is when, when he's like living in the gospel, right? We know that he's still with us, of course, but, but it's, it's certainly not in the same way that it was back then. So, so again, so he knows all of this uh, and he knows that this is going to be hard for people uh, to, to come to believe in him. And, and so what he does is he's creating a structure where he can take the authority that he has from God the Father, right, the authority of God himself, and he can hand it into uh, this, this structure so that, so that those who are actively at work within this, this structure uh, can, can know that they're, they're working with him. So how, how does this structure work? Well, we, we know, so this is uh, extra, or excuse me, Luke chapter 10. We know that in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has already called his apostles, right? So we know in the Gospels there are apostles and then there are disciples. Sometimes it's not always super clear who is who, but, but we know this uh, from, from hindsight, that the apostles are Jesus's like best friends, right? They're, they're next level followers of Jesus, people who, who spend all of their time with him. And then it's not just that they spend all their time, but he gives them a level of that authority, right? He takes the authority that the father gave to him and he hands it to them. And so we know this in, in uh, Luke chapter nine, he sends them out to do what he sent out the 72 to do. Uh, to do today, almost like as a, uh, a first step of, of like, okay, you guys are, you come before the rest, right? And so I'm giving this authority to you to go and preach and teach in my name. And so they do that. Uh, but then within this, or, or, or maybe after that, now he takes the 72 and he tells them to do the same, go and share in the mission, right? Preach, teach, cure people, heal diseases, all these things. Go, go, go. He's, he's, he's continuing to develop the structure which, which actually, if, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, when Moses was in the desert, right? So we know Moses is the person, the man God called to go to, to Pharaoh, to bring the people out of Egypt, out of that place of slavery, to bring them into the promised land. And while they're in the desert, in between, uh, Moses is, is like the leader of God's people, right? He has authority over them. And the burden that he carries in having all of that authority is really heavy, right? It weighs him down. And so he actually goes to the Lord and he asks for help. And so God says, okay, choose 70 elders to come to the tent of meeting on this particular day. And when they come, I will give them my power. I will give them my spirit. So this is what happens. Moses chooses 70 elders and he brings them uh, to the tent and they, they receive, they start prophesying. They start sharing in the authority that Moses has from God. So it's, it's this really cool thing because we know from, from the, the story that there's Moses as the leader and he's got this right-hand man, Aaron, his cousin. 
uh, Aaron is, is kind of the, the priest, uh, the, the one who, who works with, like Moses tells him what to do, and, and Aaron does it. Uh, and then within that, there's also the leaders of the tribes of Israel, which we know there are 12 tribes, right? So there are 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel, uh, kind of underneath uh, Moses and underneath Aaron. Uh, and then beneath them now, there's the 70 who share in this authority, right? So this is the structure of the Old Testament. Now what do we see Jesus do, right? Jesus is the leader, right? He's come to lead God's people in a new way. He has a right-hand man, Peter, right? We know this in Matthew 16, that Jesus speaks to Peter in a way unlike how he speaks to even the other apostles. You are Peter, and upon this rock I build my church, right? So Peter is like Jesus' right-hand man. What Jesus says, Peter does. And then within that, there are the 12 apostles. Peter is one of the apostles, sure, but nonetheless, there's the 12 apostles, and then underneath the 12 apostles, now we have the 72, or other translations say the 70. So it's, it's like this really cool thing where Jesus, he's coming, right? He comes to earth to do something new, right? Because God does new things. And Paul talks about this in, in the letter to the Galatians, right? Not circumcision or uncircumcision, whatever, but, but only a new creation, right? Jesus comes to make creation new. How does he do it? He does it in, in a variety of ways, but the structure of how he does it is from the pattern of the Old Testament, right? He, he says, this is what God did, and I'm God, right? So I'm going to do the same thing, right? So the same structure. So I just think it's, it's this really cool thing to me that's like, this is, this is how the Catholic Church operates, right? Is that, that we have the Pope who is the successor to Peter, right? And we have the bishops who are the successors to the apostles, and then we have the priests who share in the authority of the, the bishops, but not quite in the same way, right? Who are, are in line with these 70 or 72 uh, people sent out on mission, right? So like, it's this really cool thing that like, as Catholic Christians, I think sometimes we can wonder, you know, we can look around at other Protestant denominations and we can sort of wonder like, gosh, maybe, maybe they, they've got it going on, right? And it's like, well, maybe they do, but we can be confident actually that, that we have the fullness of that because we're living... Uh, within the structure that Jesus himself set up in the Gospels. So I think just a really, maybe confidence boost for us, hopefully. Uh, now, now, within that, I think there's, there's something deeper here for us uh, to, to sort of reflect on and meditate upon. So I, I tell people this all the time. I'm going to probably tell you guys this all the time, that when we read Scripture, especially the Gospels, we're not supposed to read it simply as though it's just words on a page from thousands of years ago. Right? It's, it's not meant to be something for us to just sort of gather information or to hear about this mythical creature, Jesus. Right? But, but instead, it's, it's like, no, this, the, the Bible tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between joints and marrow, soul and spirit. So there's something about reading the Gospels that we're actually like, we're supposed to, not just allowed to, but we're supposed to bring it in a prayerful kind of way into our minds to let our imaginations just simply imagine and try to enter into the story, right? And, and when we think of imagination, we can think of like imaginary friends and it's like, oh, I'm just making this person up. So it's not, it's not exactly what imagination is, right? So it's that we can take something and we can put images to it. So we, we can believe that this is truth, the gospel, and at the same time, we can take it and we can try to enter into our mind's eye and see like, okay, how did this look? Right? We, just like we can try to imagine what did the face of Jesus look like? Right? These kinds of things. So, so like, I think for us to try to like, 
enter in and let the word of God kind of come alive in a new way so that it, it jumps off the page and we can almost see ourselves entering into the story to imagine what, what this scene looked like, you know? But, but to sort of, as we enter into it, we got to kind of know what comes before this, right? So we, we know Jesus is born, he's, he's, he's uh, presented in the temple, he's lost in the temple, they find him, all these things. And then fast forward a few years, John the Baptist comes on the scene, right? And he starts preaching this message of repentance and people are coming to him that somehow they're hearing his message and, and, and they hear John saying, there's another one coming after me, one who is mightier than I, and he's, gonna, he's, he's coming with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But before he comes, you all, we all need to prepare ourselves by repenting. And so is what John is all about. People are coming, they're repenting, turning from their sins, preparing for the coming Messiah. And then Jesus comes, right? And John points to Jesus, he's like, this is the one. And Jesus goes and he's baptized by John and the heavens are opened and a dove comes down from the heaven and they hear a voice that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's this incredible thing. You can, again, try to imagine like being there, hearing the voice, but not really knowing where it's coming from. Seeing the dove come down, the sky's opening up, right? It's just like, this, you start to sort of look around and like talk among your friends and it's like, who is this? Like, what's going on? And then from there, we see Jesus begin to preach and teach. And when he preaches and teaches, like something happens inside of people's hearts and inside their minds that doesn't happen all the time. It happens very rarely, but instead, like they're, they're letting, it's like the word penetrates within them and it brings them to look at life from an entirely new perspective. And it's amazing. But then like it gets even more amazing because then what happens is like sick people start coming to Jesus, people who are crippled and lame, people who are blind and deaf, who are mute. And they come to Jesus, people who have leprosy, and Jesus touches them and they're healed. It's like, what the heck is going, like who is this person, right? Like, and, and you're watching all of this take place and it's just like, this is so incredible. Like this person couldn't see and now he can. And I think this is the one, right? I think this is the one that was promised for centuries. Like, this is, this is him. And so, like, I, I get to follow him and be a part of the movement, right? And, like, wherever he goes, it's like I'm, I'm with him because I want to be his disciple, right? Like, I want to follow the Messiah, the one who's coming to save me. And he's, he calls me to follow. It's just, like, so amazing, right? And you can imagine even, even like, watching this happen, you can imagine being being the blind person, right? Like imagine you grow up and you can't see a single thing and then you hear about this man, Jesus, you just hear his name and, and something sparks in your heart and it's just like, oh, I gotta, I gotta talk to him, right? And so I call out for him to have mercy and, and they, then they bring me to him and he takes me aside and he spits on the ground. It's kind of weird, but, but then he like, he takes the dirt and he puts it in my eyes and then, and then I can open my eyes and I can see for the first time, right? Like this is incredible, this is so, and like I get, and now I get to follow him, right? Like I get to be a part of this whole thing. It's amazing. This is, this is the scene that's set up here, right? So then we get to this scene and, and then it's like Jesus turns to you and he's got a smile on his face and he's looking at you with this sort of sparkle in his eye. And you're not really sure what the look is about, but you're just like so happy that he sees you. And then he says, he says to you, you go do the same thing now. What I've done for you, you go and do that. Go and preach and teach. 
go and enter towns and cure the sick. What happens inside of you? It's like, hold on a minute. Wait, no, Jesus, I'm following you. You're the one who can do these things. You, you know me, don't you, right? Like, I've, I haven't cured any sick people ever in my life. Jesus, you can't possibly expect me to do this, right? And he says, no, go. Just go. He's like, no, no. He's like, no, I promise you. Go, and I will come with you. Just not in body. And so you're just like, okay, well, he said to, so I'm going to go. So you just got to like imagine, right? You're like, you're entering the city for the first time. And Jesus is not with you anymore, right? When you were with Jesus, you were confident. You were, you were, you were ready for whatever he was going to do because it was all about him. And now he's like giving you a share of that authority to invite you into that mission, that, that, the mission of salvation, right? And so you can imagine like the first time you go to a city and you're not with him, it's like you, you're probably a little nervous, right? It's just like, you're just like, repent, right? You're like, you're, you're kind of sheepish about it, right? Like repent, turn the kingdom of God, right? And, but, but then you realize that when you say something, that there's actually something coming from within you that's not from you. And you realize it's from Jesus. And that people respond to this. Not everyone, right? He knows not everyone's going to respond, but that some people respond to this. And then you pray with people and you realize that when you're praying with people, there's something coming from your hands that's not from you, but it's from Jesus, right? Like, not everybody, right? But nonetheless, right, it's, it's incredible. Like, stuff starts to happen because he's, because he's invited me and he's given me that authority to preach and teach in his name, to, to cure people in his name, right? Like, stuff starts to happen and it's the most amazing thing because you know that you're not capable of it on your own. And so it's no wonder that it says the 72 returned rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us because of your name. Like, they're just like, you got to imagine the, the, the excitement, the, the smiles on their faces, the joy of like, this is so dang incredible that Jesus, like, Jesus, I don't, I don't know how you did it, but you weren't even with us. But because of you, we were able to do these amazing things. And, and now we're just like so delighted because nothing can keep us from bringing people to you and to bringing people to a place of salvation. You can, again, just imagine Jesus with that same loving smile. Right? Because he's not surprised. And he just says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. And it's this kind of look that can only say, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you that you, like, you went out and you did it. I gave you this authority and you went and you used what I gave you. And now you're back and you're rejoicing. And I just, good job. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You're like this, like, this is the thing, you guys. We are meant to be a part of that. The word of God is living and active. It's not, it's not something that has lived and is now dead. The word of God is living and active. Jesus is alive. And he wants you to share in his mission of salvation. But sharing in that mission of salvation can only come from a lived relationship with him. 
The apostles and the disciples could only go and share in his mission because they first knew him and lived with him intensely, day in and day out. And so for you and I, we can only share in that mission if we live with him and know him, not know about him, but know him intensely, day in and day out. And sure, maybe, maybe you're not ordained ministers of the church, and so you don't have the same kind of authority, perhaps, that a priest or a bishop or the pope does. But nonetheless, right, we believe this, that because you were baptized, Jesus is alive in you. And he wants to be activated within you. And so maybe we, we could sort of finish, finish this reflection with two simple questions for us. Do you have a lived relationship with Jesus? Is it something that day in and day out, you are not just like learning about him, that's certainly part of it, and not just sort of, you know, like coming on the weekends and that's it, but day in and day out, are you living with Jesus in your prayers, in your reading of the word of God, in your taking in whatever it is that you're taking in, is that all with Jesus? And then second, are you willing to consider the question, what can I do to share in the mission? Jesus, how do you want me to share in this? How is it, Jesus, that you have gifted me to go and win people over so that, so that everybody in Goodrich can, can see those Catholics and just say, gosh, I don't know what it is, but those Catholics, they are alive in a way unlike everyone else. And so I want to be a part of it. Just imagine, imagine, you guys, a full church. Imagine, imagine the church is so full that we got to open up those separators. Imagine that. This is what God wants for Goodrich. It's what he wants for Grigla. It's what he wants for Oakley. It's what he wants for the whole world. But he can't do it. He can't do it if you don't have a lived relationship with him and if you are unwilling to participate in the mission. And so to spend this week asking those questions, Jesus, how can I grow in that lived relationship? Maybe I need to begin in a lived relationship or maybe I've been doing it and I just need to keep, keep growing. But then second, Jesus, how do you want me to share in this so that I can return to you rejoicing, rejoicing that even the demons are subject to me because of your name. And you can say to me in response, do not rejoice in this, but rejoice instead that your name is written in heaven.